Hi, this is Cliff Griego for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is another dialogue tape. And what I want to do this beautiful June morning, it's still early. And it was quite cold uh, last night, a clearing cold front, but only very gradually. So it froze pretty hard at this altitude. And it's just now as the sun rises to about 6 a.m. natural time, thawing out. And there are myriad, a myriad of water drops. To speak with Carl Sagan, billions and billions of water drops catching uh, the light. And so really what I'd rather do than talking is just sit and watch the um, miracle of a water drop reflecting Brother Sun's light. It really is a miracle. And one to watch with climate crisis because that rhythm, the nature of it, when it happens, what it means for plants and all the other parts of the circle of life is changing right before our eyes. But the theme is different. Um, I'm uh, packing out uh, quickly this, uh, this afternoon, going down to my office. So I always prepare for that uh, inwardly because here the circle of nature is very much dominant. And down in Canyon Country, where my little shoebox office is, you're welcome to visit any time. never know when I'm going to be there. It's very much the circle of culture is dominant. And so the work that I have evidently been chosen to do, for better or worse, is that I kind of vibrate between those two circles, like a string. And because the vibrations happen with intensity and so quickly, uh, I'm in a unique position to meditate on the relationship between nature and culture in a very simple, and perhaps in some cases, clarifying philosophical way. And a lot of that has to do with the language we use to understand the relationship, nature and culture. In a way, for me, that's all that exists. So all the other words we have, politics, civilization, you can just set those aside, and there are these two primary circles. And clearly, nature is uh, the larger circle. Well, as I go down to this little shoebox office, my thoughts naturally tend to um, the world of the intellect and descriptions of the current uh, ecological, political, world situation and whatnot, which I uh, attempt to, to follow in a philosophical way, 
always at a kind of distance because I uh, am determined to remain true to that uh, greater circle of nature. And I might add um, consciousness. So in this talking circle, I wanted to be controversial and just throw out into the middle uh, what I see as the um, three great mistakes of one of the world's leading intellectuals, uh, Noam Chomsky. And I can be very brief because I don't think they're in any way uh, complicated. I think they're from up here they are, with all due respect, self-evident. Number one is from the philosophical linguistic point of view. I take very great exception to this Western worldview, not in the first place about language and linguistics, but sound. So uh, it's possible to take the current uh, Western science point of view that sound is a mechanical movement of air. And that leads to a kind of relativism that all languages are in a way uh, equal in terms of their phonic or sound aspects. And there are cultural reasons for doing that. But uh, I want to suggest that's a very great mistake because sound and uh, the view that I'm arguing for and throwing into the dialogue is alive. And uh, language emerges from that wider circle of living nature that I first talked to. So all languages are not, just like all musics are not, created equal. Some because of, just by virtue of the fact they've been there for millennia, have a very deep, natural, powerful, living energy resonance with the earth, with that wider circle of nature. And I think Western linguists totally miss that. And there are reasons for that, because it, within that model, the proper model of falsification can't be demonstrated yet. But if you're actually out here, it's obvious that my feeling, for example, English, where I sit, is the language at best of a tourist that's just coming through and uh, taking what he or she wants and exploiting it and whatnot. And it has a very superficial quality in relationship, not just within itself, but especially with that wider circle of nature. Now, any of the primal peoples of the world will know instantly what I'm talking about and have suffered greatly because of this Western-style linguistics that comes in and just simply catalogs and describes in what it sees as an objective way of doing uh, their science. That's all well and good, but they're missing one of the key, the key point, that language is alive, and it's that thing that makes alive our relationship with the living earth. So at best we're tourists, but at worst uh, speaking with Chomsky. And again, I very greatly admire his work as the, uh, I would call uh, him a naturalist 
of the state terrorism and the government of empire worldwide, but especially focusing on the United States. So he has uh, played a tremendous role in calling, I'm using my own words, but calling attention to one act of violence of state terrorism after another. And of course, if we were aware, that's the theory, if we were aware that if we dispel this manufactured consent, as he and Edward Bernays have called the uh, state propaganda, of tyrannical regimes, well, that ignorance, if it's dispelled, can in principle dissipate the energy of tyranny. An informed democracy, citizenry, how did Jefferson say that an informed citizenry will behave responsibly? Well, that's a basic principle of the Enlightenment. The second uh, great mistake is in terms of the very thing that Noam Chomsky has devoted himself to. And this I find uh, even more incomprehensible than the uh, first mistake of uh, the natural resonance of sound with the living earth and the difference that makes in linguistic expression, in the expression of meaning universally. This one is uh, his downplaying of the role of the events on 9-11. And he frequently said that the real 9-11 was back in 1973 in Chile with the state terrorism apparatus at the disposal of uh, Nixon and Kissinger overthrowing the democratically elected um, Allende government and just uh, throwing the country into a dictatorship and violent degenerative chaos for decades. And there's some truth to that, but uh, I would disagree, take issue that uh, my own view is very simple, that 9-11 uh, is the regime change of regime change, that every single word that the official state account of the events of that horrific uh, day is um, false. I would suggest that we begin just with the physical evidence. I don't think you have to go any further than that. So it's the regime change of regime change because it's basically changed the entire perception of world order that the eternal enemy has become the terrorist and the eternal war has become the war on terrorism. And of course, uh, like uh, spraying the weeds in the meadow <laughs> where I sit because of uh, uh, just a century of overgrazing, that's all it takes. Well, uh, you're only going to spray cancer and create more weeds. But that is what they wanted. All, if it's true, that that is what happened, that everything we were told was a lie, we have now a completely self-destructive worldwide uh, chaos called order that uh, directly follows from the events of that day, more than any other event, I would argue, in the whole of cultural history.
The code name for that day was shock and awe, and that's what it did. It stopped the whole cultural world dead in its tracks. And everything that's followed from that evil day is, um, in a word, uh, tremendously destructive. All the wars, all the weaponry that's been created, all the false ideas. Well, there is a Swiss Noam Chomsky, whom I also greatly admire, Daniela uh, Ganser, that uh, doesn't make this mistake. He too takes uh, 9-11 and has paid the consequences in his career for doing so as a primary form uh, manifestation of regime change. And because of that, his work has a kind of coherence that Chomsky's does not have, in my view, because of ignoring the significance of outrageously, self-evidently relevant facts of that day. And so why that happens is a mystery to me. There must be something blocking clear perception. And I would be the first thing, first one to admit that's probably my problem too. But that's the whole point of the talking circle and dialogue, is to clear the spiritual ear. So that's the first mistake, linguistic. Just compare the language of the Paiute to the Nimipu to what we have in tourist English here in this area. The first thing you notice is that we don't know the earth. We don't know the plants, nothing about them. So when we spray to take care of the weeds, we don't even see what we're doing. It's based on the blissful ignorance of the tourists. You're only going to be here a while, what the hell. And then the second, the regime, the mother of all regime change is 9-11. So we're still living right in the middle of it. If we don't see the truth of what happened on that day of shock and awe. The third uh, mistake, um, Daniel Ganser, the brilliant uh, Swiss-German, he has a department for peace studies that devotes itself to, among other things, all the documentaries and documentation, everything that's been written about 9-11. Imagine that. For Americans, there are universities doing that, bless them in America too, but that wouldn't even make it on the script of democracy now. <laughs> Who is going to report about these heroic efforts of someone like Daniel Ganser? But uh, his mistake, Chomsky has made from the very beginning, and uh, how to describe it, it has to do with the circle of consciousness that uh, the question of what is conflict and is conflict inherent in human consciousness? Most people would say yes. And if so, then the best we can do is to have uh, political uh, structures, ethical structures uh, that uh, limit that inherent uh, tendency to conflict. 
or a better word would be violence. It's more general. Well, I would suggest that there is a consciousness possible, and it can be demonstrated, where violence doesn't exist. And in the natural world, I have a way of saying it, that uh, nature knows no conflict. Now, why would I say that? Every ecologist says, well, what are you talking about? Where is your grizzly bear? And that wolves, <laughs> nature red and tooth and claw. Well, it's because I redefine conflict. Conflict is a disorder that sticks like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, until there is a world governance, a third party, more powerful third party, just a wider circle, really, that says, stop. Like two neighbors on your street that are feuding, and it begins small, and eventually they're taking hostages and shooting each other. It's what naturally happens in the world when order degenerates. We get into tribal, feudalism sort of conflicts. That could easily happen in North America almost overnight, like it did in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. Conflict, violence. So I'm saying that form of a conflict that goes on and on and on and on. In music, if you know anything about the physics of sound, it's a wolf tone that grinds two tones that are speaking against each other that isn't resolved. So it makes life impossible. Well, that doesn't happen in the world of nature. Why? Because it contradicts, contradicts nature's economy of the watercourse way. It wastes energy, tremendous waste of energy. And I can't help mentioning seeing Carl Sagan in 1990, and he's making the sign of a T, not a B, but a T, admonishing the world in his very beautiful poetic way 1990, that we have spent collectively $10 trillion on nuclear weaponry at 1990. And he says, well, that's more than the value of all the manufactured artifacts in North America on totally senseless death and destruction, weapons that can't be used. Well, that's conflict. It's violent so incredibly in runaway that it can take down now the entire circle of nature. And both Chomsky and Ganser point to that as a key part of their motivation of their work. But the way that they define conflict this sounds like a small point, but it's everything. Can a human being, through taking a wider circle and looking at the whole of human consciousness without trying to control it, so you're not spraying the weeds, you're looking at the source. Where do those weeds come from? And there's something destructive and divisive in our thought which in both Gunser's and Chomsky's work 
goes unnoticed. It's ignored. Because they both assume that it cannot be otherwise. We can make the human being into a more peaceful animal and regulate it in awareness, understanding. There's a great emphasis, rightly, placed on knowledge. But when you step back from it, I would say, and this is my last point, is that knowledge has nothing to do with it. Understanding the nature of thought. That's what you do right here, right now. So you're watching, it's entirely a movement of truth and function. You watch by, you don't project a situation of peace, which is both what Chomsky and Ganser do, a possible peace. That's all well and good, but you can, when you step back from it, from here, the circle of nature, you can see, what are they doing? This will just go on until we take down the circle of nature as well. Ten trillion dollars in 1990. And now they want to increase defense. We have learned nothing in almost 30 years. And not just nothing about who is pulling the levers. I mean, the political leaders are in ways just puppets. And in the dark shadow someplace, there are people who are pushing the levers and pulling the strings of some sort of shadow. What shall you call it? It's not a government. They're not elected. Their faces are not known. And perhaps I should just mention that here, that I'm very much, uh, I very much question the use of the term conspiracy theory, because philosophically it uh, confuses in a very destructive way. As I was talking about the other day, there's simply the mutual rising of theory and fact. That's all there ever has been. And in a way, in terms of thought, it's inherent in thought. Thought needs to have an explanatory hypothesis in order to make sense of facts. And facts are the things we pay attention to from the other way around because of the explanatory hypothesis. So both Ganser and Chomsky put us in the right frame of mind that all governments lie, I have stone, that what the main terrorists are are so-called democratic governments, the entertainment industry of the military-industrial complex, like Frank Zappa used to say. So get rid of that concept. Ganser in Switzerland, which is by the day in terms of their media becoming more and more ugly Americanized, was attacked recently on um, Swiss public television in a program called The Arena. It's one of the most appalling demonstrations of ugly Americanism I've seen in Europe to date. It's extraordinarily disrespectful of work uh, that has tremendous integrity to it, Gans's work. It's a great hope for the future, I think.
So what I'm suggesting is that I have that double circle of dialogue with the ten primary problems that's written for children. Chomsky rightly calls attention to the fact that it's basically the two crises confronting humankind are nuclear war and climate change that he describes very poetically as a pincer movement that it could easily snuff us out. But in the um, ten primary problems, a primary problem is a, an issue that's there objectively whether we like it or not, and they're all big enough. They have their circumference as a circle of the entire planet. They could all destroy culture as we know it worldwide, not just in North America. And they're made to tick off on the hands of a young person. Water, energy, climate, GMOs, pollution, that's your left hand. On the right hand, footprint, how much energy we use. Finance, farming, nuclear war. That's basically those ten things. And what I'm suggesting as a question is that all of those problems have their source in the destructive, divisive nature of thought itself. And once there's awareness of that destructive, divisive nature of thought itself, that uh, totally liberates consciousness from that prison of ignorance. That's all it takes. That's not enlightenment, which we know nothing about but it's awareness of that nature of thought. It creates a completely different world instantaneously. Instead of two guns pointed at each other as the geometry of life, so which gun shall prevail? The geometry of life is simply a circle and that we're all brothers and sisters in that circle. And it's a kind of uh, vision which comes naturally out here. And it's not naive, it's the other way around. The intellectual view that you can solve everything through knowing and perhaps changing the political and legal structures, that's the naive point of view. And you cannot prove this, but you can demonstrate it through a different way of being. And that's what we mean to do. First and foremost, through the teaching of teachers in a new kind of, just call it a spiritual education. Okay, that's it for now. So, thanks for listening. This is Cliff, signing off for picturepoems.com and the circle in the square. Even if you don't have German, check out the work of uh, Dr. Gunther in uh, Switzerland. Ciao for now.